As we prepare to hear God's word, let's first pause and pray, asking God to open our hearts to hear what God might be saying to us today. God, I, I ask that you create in each one of us a stillness so that we can listen for your voice speaking to us through this passage and through the words that you wish to say. May you guard our ears, our hearts, and who we are against things that you don't want us to hear or that wouldn't be helpful this morning. But in all things, may your Holy Spirit be our guide. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's scripture reading is from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. So he went to him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now, there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians, had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed from her disease. Immediately, immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made me well. Go in peace, and you'll be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came back from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all aside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, Talitha, kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk. 
She was about 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know of this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. So, I was remembering a story this morning that happens just before a barbecue, Brooks Barbecue, in October, I would believe. I had come to this, uh, to Linwood, parked in the parking lot with Amos, my dog, in the back. Yes, another shameless Amos story. Um, expect a slide at the end during the benediction. <laughs> um, so I came and I let him out. And at this point, he's discovered squirrels and how much he rather enjoys them and takes off into the woods back there. And this isn't uncommon, but I go searching for him and calling for him, and I can't find him. For 15 minutes, I was looking. And at the 15-minute mark, I realized this wasn't normal. And at that point, fear overcame me. Fear flooded my veins. Fear sent shivers down my spine. Desperate and panicked, I went into overdrive. Okay, I started like running from here all the way back to the pond back there in the nether regions of the, of the uh, property here. You might not even know that we have a pond back there. But I was like going to and fro. I probably did it like at least four times. Um, I was like running around the building. I ran over to the neighborhood, to the north, into the fields, to the south. All this like fear was just driving me and keeping me going for nearly an hour. And then terror set in as I couldn't find him and I figured he was gone or dead or hurt somewhere. And I made my way back to, to church one final time and uh, the little fluff ball was running around here. <laughs> and he was running with uh, Mike Lynch and Scott Gretzinger and he came up to me, his tongue like hanging out of his mouth, like, look who I'm playing with. And in that moment, I never more fully understood my parents before. Uh, and the ability to, to have so much anger within me and so much love at the same time. So much relief. I couldn't believe it. And I experienced a sweet relief from the fear that kept me running around like a madman. Fear is an incredible emotional, mental, bodily response to threats that we perceive. Heart begins to race, feeling like it's going to go out of your chest. Your mind races or becomes numb. Your body might tremble or feel weak or gain superpowers to run around a church for an hour or what have you. Their natural responses when we or things we care for are threatened. Our dogs are lost, our cats are outside, we're hiking in the Adirondacks and it's growing dark, or it's snowing and the light is growing dim. We're walking to our car alone in Albany at night. Or our kids are going off into the new and unknown territory of elementary school or middle school or high school or college. And we wonder what sorts of friends they make or grades they'll get or paths they'll take. Fear is a good and natural thing, and it's something God-given that helps us to navigate life. But sometimes fear can show up 
in our lives in subtle but really powerful ways. Showing up in us when we enter a room and think, will I be liked? Am I worthy of people's time? Am I deserving of love? We get a new job and we wonder, am I enough? Do I have what it takes? Will I get everything done? We notice the neighborhood changing, different families moving in. Can I trust these people? Will our relationships be one of care or conflict? Our church changes something in the worship bulletin, or new people come in, or there's something that we might disagree with. And we wonder, do we still have a place here? Am I forgotten? Is my voice important? Or as the people in this passage we're familiar with that we heard today, we face the prospect of death and wonder what the unknown holds. Or perhaps we have faith, but we're still scared. And there are a number of responses that crop up in us when, often in unthinking ways, and we respond. And the issue comes when we're filled with fear and our responses can sometimes generate hurt and harm for ourselves or for others. There are three responses typically that I've heard of that, that we have when we encounter fear and begin to act out of that fear. The impulse to fight, to take flight, or to freeze. First is to fight. We see a threat, we dig in, readying ourselves for battle. And I think it's good and a courageous thing to stand up to threats, to take on evil and injustice. But sometimes when we allow fear to control us and become, when we become enraged with this fear, we can bring evil and injustice upon others in the form of bullying others, or running over others with words and ideas and projects. Or we can overfunction and try to control every little detail of lives or things in the lives of others. And it's well-intentioned and good, but might bring some harm. Second, we can flee from the threat that we see. And you know, God gives us legs to run fast for a reason, I think. And so it's okay to turn away from some things in life. It's not cowardice, but wisdom. But there are times when we seek to create unhealthy distance, shutting down conversations because they get difficult or we feel attacked or somebody communicates something and telling us truth that we don't want to hear at the moment. Or we become emotionally distant from others because being vulnerable is a really scary thing. We find ways to avoid people who are different than us, or we build relational or physical walls to just keep people out. The third response is that we freeze. To be frozen in fear can be a helpful thing, but also unhelpful in that it can create this sense of needing to be numb to the things of our lives. And so like, maybe you're like me and, and you've, you've binge-watched the Netflix, the Netflix. Why did I say that? <laughs> it's like the Facebook. Mindlessly scroll through our phone or move to different rooms or spaces so we don't have to encounter something. 
The worst part about all these is that, is that there's this feeling of being controlled or out of control by fear. And so I want to hold up this passage for us today as a window into acknowledging fear and finding a way to take a different posture to help us deal with it. As Lucas described and as Tom read, our passage opens with a dad named Jairus, who is the leader of the synagogue, which is the Jewish home of worship. He's a faithful Jewish leader who sees Jesus as one who can help. His daughter is sick and dying and has no other place to turn. So he runs to Jesus. And perhaps this is a daring move for him because at that time, Jesus is already one who's coming under a lot of scrutiny from the religious leaders. And being found in Jesus' company is being found in bad company. So he's risking something here. Fear perhaps welling up inside of him, both in having to go to Jesus, but also for his daughter. And so he comes to Jesus crying, help me and my daughter. So off they go to his house, And along the way, they meet a woman who is also facing death or living in death. She had this endless flow of blood, meaning that she would have been unclean and could not be around people like family or friends. But it also meant that she could never have a husband and kids as well. She was once a woman of means but became poor because she spent all her money on physicians trying to get well. And having no other options, she runs to Jesus, even though he is in the midst of the crowd and she would have been taking a risk and breaking the law. But like Jairus, what other choice did she have? And in her desperation, experiencing a living death, she comes to Jesus. Our passage is about two people, desperate, fearful, facing death. And they come and they put in front of Jesus the really, really real fears that they have. Longing and hoping that he can do something and provide something good that leads them beyond the present moment, beyond the death that they're facing. And he invites them to trust him, that he can make a way and that he is powerful enough that he can provide. In our story, the woman finds healing not only by her faith to touch Jesus' robe, but to trust him fully in all things. After she is healed, Jesus turns and asks, who touched me? She could fight this by denying it. She could take flight away from the crowd, or she could just sit there and do nothing. But the passage says that she came in fear and trembling. And her coming with this fear and this trembling was an act of faith to unveil herself in the hope that Jesus would be kind and compassionate. And he is. And he celebrates her and upholds her as an example of faithfulness. And in this moment, she is lifted up no longer as the outcast, but as the one who is not only restored to community, but an example of what we all should be. Ending with this line. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. It's a wonderful story, but the delay has caused 
the other character in the story to die, Jairus' daughter. But Jesus presses on, entering the man's home, rebuffing the naysayers who laugh at him when he says she's just sleeping, and calls the girl to rise and wake. To which there's great amazement and joy at this girl's resurrection. In the face of fear, these two trust in the power of Jesus and he celebrates their faith and his ability to provide for them and create a new way beyond their despair and fear and the death that they're facing. Now, I think that there are many good things that can help us to manage and face the anxiety and the fear that we face at times. There are friends, there are family members, there are support groups, the blessing of modern medicine, coping strategies, all paths that can help us out. But the passage asks us to find in Jesus a true and present help and a power that is greater than we can manufacture and create for ourselves. And I want to offer you a process processing fear prayerfully, trusting in the person of Jesus. And in doing so, I want to I want to offer some scripture passages. So maybe you'll hear something for yourself and for your own spiritual walk that might be helpful. The fourth things are to be still and notice, to petition and pray, to remember God's love and let that love direct you. So when you are facing fear, first be still and notice. Psalm 46, as I said at the beginning of the service, says, God is your refuge and strength, a very present help in troubled times. And so we will not fear that the earth should change and the mountains shake. Be still and know that I am God. Now, if a bear is chasing you, sure, you're not going to pull up a cup of coffee for some reflection and prayer time. I get it. But if you are experiencing days and weeks and seasons of anxiety and fear, I invite you to take time to slow down and remember to be still and know the God who holds your life. That God is bigger than the fear that you are facing. Be still and know that God is. It is an invitation to pause and know that the problems you're facing are not the God of your life. But the God of your life is so much bigger and is there for you and is a help. So take your time to be still. Don't get aggressive or flee or just sit and wallow in nothingness. Be still and notice what is going on in you and around you. And it leads to the second thing, to petition and pray. The power of the story happens when the man and woman bring themselves to Jesus and they recognize his power to heal them and bring good things. Over the past couple weeks, I've been using Philippians 4 as the benediction. And the part that I offer to you this morning goes like this. Do not worry, but in prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God will guard your hearts in Christ 
Jesus our Lord. When you notice what's going on around you, when you take note of those fears, I pray that you offer those things up to Jesus. And as you offer them up, know that his his courage, his strength, his presence, his peace, his love will fall freshly within you and upon you. Third, remember God's love. The part that sticks out to me in this passage is the use of the word daughter. And it comes at the end of when Jesus is interacting with this woman who is who's become well after so many years of bleeding. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. When you have noticed what's going on, when you've lifted it up to God, remember that God calls you a son and daughter of his own. That God is like a father who chases after us, running around like I was running around after Amos. Never stopping, never ceasing until God finds us. And when God finds us, God holds us in an everlasting embrace that doesn't slip. God holds you in an embrace that doesn't slip. And if ever you need a reminder of that, I pray you turn to Romans 8, where Paul says this. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Notice, lift up, remember and lastly, let love directly direct you. There's a passage from 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 17, which says this, God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this. Therefore, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. God's love is poured out into your heart daily, and I pray you trust that and know that, and that that love animates you and guides you when you encounter fear, that you can redirect your actions to be motivated by love, to whatever you're doing, whether you're fighting or you're fleeing or you're frozen, that love might work on that and direct your way. Let's pray. Lord our God, I pray that your Holy Spirit falls freshly upon each of us, that your grace and your truth and your wisdom might be felt by all who are here today. And whatever we're going through, may you be there tomorrow and the next day and each day, as you promised. I lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen.